Well, ladies, you have walked through the Gospels. Isn't it something? All the things that you got to see and as you read and the life of Christ in ways that we hadn't seen before. You know, one of the things I was telling Rhonda, you know, when we, it's a little song. I don't know if I'm going to sing it. I might just say it to you. But you know what? The whole gospel, the whole Bible really and truly is the gospel. But you've just read the gospels. And it really is good news. And I was thinking, just even yesterday, there's two, actually, at the end, I'll tell you the other song, that the Lord just, boom, brought to mind, in my own mind, as to, when I first got saved, and when I was first asked to come in and teach, I had the privilege of teaching four- and five-year-olds. And they are something. They are so fun. And they respond to everything you ask them to do. Everything. (laughs) Unlike us. Unlike us. But I can remember, and I looked, because I was going to actually see, oh, maybe I'll just start with this little tiny song, you know, that we used to teach them. But I couldn't find it anyway. No, good news, because it's called Good News, Good News. Do you guys, anyone here remember that song at all that you were taught when you were little? You do? Yay, one person. Okay. You and I are kindred spirits. But we would sing it with them and teach it to them, and it literally went, good news, good news, Christ died for me. Good news, good news, if I believe. Good news, good news, I'm saved eternally. That's wonderful. When they came extra good news, they would just yell that out. (laughs) But But you know what? As I was thinking and ruminating with that song, that really is the simplistic message of the gospel. And I thought, I'm going, to re- I'm going to use that at times. How simple a message is that? To where you're not having to go into depth and have deep theological statements with people. But that really is the truth. That is the good news. That he has died for us. And honestly, ladies, that's what this whole, I think the gospels were about. And what all the resurrection brought in. I'm hoping that you go back and you revisit some of the things that you guys have studied this week, that you read this week, underline the things that really stuck out to you because the resurrection brought in a whole new kingdom. It did. Powerful kingdom. You know when he taught the disciples how to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. He knew what kingdom was coming, even then. Thy will be done. A new kingdom. And you guys, we're, it's never passing away. And it's different. And I thought that was pretty cool. But before I move into really, and listen, this is my Bible. I'm not taking my Bible and trying to flip all over it. So I've got it. I printed it out with Bible Gateway if I need to go into something. Have you seen me going? Flipping on this side and flipping on that side. But you know, one of the things this morning, and what I found very quickly, and it was just a, it was a blog that somebody had written. And it's called The Women of the Resurrection. Which I thought, wow, how cool is that? We're teaching women. We are women. And how, you know, it kind of started out with saying, don't you love it when you have good news to tell somebody? Especially women. Right? Don't we love to go run and tell somebody, oh my gosh, you know what? He finally told me he loved me. Or I know I'm having a baby. Or, you know, the list goes on. The things that we want to share, you know. And we want to find somebody of importance that we can share that with. Someone who will be glad for us and someone who will recognize the importance of what we are telling them. Well, the interesting thing, when the two angels announced the good news of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, they gave the good news. Guess who they gave it to, ladies? Women. 
women who were considered to be unreliable messengers and couldn't even testify in court. <laughs> women were given the honor of passing on the best news ever transmitted, which was that Jesus was alive. You also see where, who's the first person that Jesus met and spoke with? What was your name? Now I'll tell you, when I was doing all of what I was preparing for this week, everyone is called Mary in the Bible. <laughs> I actually sat one time and was like, Lord, this is retarded. Oh, seriously, what am I doing? Where's his mother? Which Mary is this? What Mary is that? Trying to figure all of that out was like maddening to me. I finally just said, forget it. I just know that there's multiple Marys, there's multiple women, but those women were basically commissioned by, by him to go and share the ultimate good news. It's extra good news. But especially I looked at the life of Mary and how beautiful that was and how, you know, you look back in, she had seven demons that were, she was possessed by and Jesus literally cured her of all. But her love for him was unbelievable. And one of the other things that I had seen, and I thought, wow, these women supported the disciples out of their resources, ladies. So look, we don't, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not a woman, I'm not a man hater. I love men, I do. I love being around them, I love their sense of humor. I told somebody not too long ago, somebody that can make me laugh, I will love you forever. I love laughing, and guys are funny. They just do funny stuff. That's one of the, one of the, one of the good things about being a mom of boys. But I thought it was interesting that they did. They had a way of making a living outside of a man, obviously, somehow. And that they were giving what they had been given, you know, so that they could help Jesus and the disciples. I just think that's just a neat way of looking at life and knowing that we live in a time in a country where women think that we just are treated like dogs. Sometimes I think in some places, but ladies, we've been empowered by, by Jesus. We've been empowered through the scriptures, if you look at it, how he looked at women. And you know what? He was a guy before his time doing what he did with the women back there. He was setting standards, and he was showing people the importance of there isn't any difference in a gender. I love that. Those are things, look at that, mark those down. If you ever have the opportunity to share with others, these are great words that you can share because one of the things I've found in all my life, if I get into an argument, I mean an argument, I don't get very far. Well, I can get far. I just shut them up. <laughs> I'm a person of words, but I don't really accomplish what I would like. But if I can remember the words that are in the Bible and I use scripture, it's been amazing what opens up and how they respond to that. So remembering those things. This morning I'm going to be sharing with you out of John 21. There were so many. I mean, all of the Gospels were amazing. And you know one thing too that I did, in all of the scriptures, the only woman that was mentioned in, I mean, of all of the Gospels was Mary Magdalene. The rest of them, you have different accounts of who was, but they were all, and at one point there were multiple women that were going. But I thought that was kind of interesting. But she was primarily mentioned. But there were so many, and Matthew, and Mark, and Luke. Luke, we segue in to what Rhonda will be teaching next week. Actually, that's where this is bringing us. There's a conclusion coming, and Jesus is walking in this earth. But there's a newness coming, too, you know. And you guys will so enjoy how the church was developed and commissioned and, well, and who it was based upon. What I'm going to be sharing with you today is when you're not sure what to do next, 
Because, ladies, that's what's happened with the disciples. I looked at their lives, and I don't know about you guys, but I have had more than one time in my life where I've had something happen to me in my life that I had no idea what, I, don't, I wasn't sure what was going to be the next thing to do. Because your life is just spinning, spinning out of control. Because for one thing, Jesus had appeared to them, but they had not yet been recommissioned. There's not a place to where he had literally, really, where they were sensing a place of, of forgiveness, which is what he ushered in. Forgiveness, real forgiveness. But he's having, con and they don't know what to do, where to go. They don't, I mean, so they're, they're going back to what was, was familiar to them because they're going back to fishing. They don't know where else they're going. They've not been told what to do. And, it, you know, and I, when I was reading through that, where how it started, where he said, Peter just basically opens up and goes, I'm going fishing. Because they've been sitting there, they don't know what, nobody has any kind of an idea of what to do, where to go, what are we going to do now. You know, and then how all the rest of the disciples, because see, he's already showing leadership. All the rest of the disciples are literally following after him. Yeah, we're going to go too. But it says, Jesus guides us in many different ways, ladies. He does, his guiding. Because after Jesus' death, the disciples didn't know what to do with themselves other than to return to their old livelihood. You know, and you have these men, I think they're lost and they're lonely. Can you even imagine what it would be like? They had walked with him for three years. He was their leader and guide. He was who they went to. And for them, he is no longer there. They know he's alive, but they have no idea what his plans are for them. And I think that for them, once they got out there and they fished all night, I mean, I've got to go in through that. It must have been something, because they at first didn't even recognize him on, on the seashore, which I thought was interesting. Who recognized him? Who was he? Yeah, John. John turned to Peter and basically said to him, that's the Lord. Look what they did. Isn't that beautiful? But I keep thinking, what did, how did he look so different? Because we're going to have bodies like him, so I have no idea what it's going to look like. You know, because my mind stayed on that for about, I don't know, 20 minutes. <laughs> Trying to think, okay, Lord, what? So we're going to have flesh. You know, but people won't really recognize who we are, I think. But anyway, I'm only going through that. So where, where he guides us in different ways, and sometimes he'll make, which I have found, the next step. Sometimes your steps that God directs you in are clear as day. Haven't you had that? Where you know exactly where you're going, what you're supposed to do. And I'm going to tell you, more often than not, I have, to, I have to process through that and wait. Well, Peter discovered it feels like we're left oftentimes to just plain muddle through things, to try and wait, only to find that Jesus, and that's what, what Peter ended up finding, Jesus literally is leading us through the muddling. When you can't see the forest for the trees, he's still guiding, whether you see it or not. That's what I'm finding. It's so easy to have the, the answer be absolutely like constant and in front of you but there's something in us i think that what comes to the forefront are things that we have uh, it shows places of our weakness it shows where our faith is not strong there's many things in the wait and the not know and when you aren't sure what to do next that jesus is working in and that we have him moving and helping us muddle through it peter didn't know what else to do the past few weeks had been indescribably intense for him with the nightmare of Jesus' crucifixion and the wonder of his resurrection. They were all not sure if it was really him. Who took him? Where did, what happened? You have to look at all what was happening to them. And then I thought, not just about T Peter, who had literally betrayed him and, and didn't, want to ask, didn't want to answer the questions that were... But all of the disciples had literally 
ran from him in the garden. And now they're having to all deal with that because they haven't had an opportunity to really sit down and have conversations with him. But I think it's beautiful. He goes to something that is familiar. He waits for them, and that's where the conversations really and truly have ways of commissioning. Now he was sitting with Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two others. This was Pete. They were just waiting. And it was disorienting for them because none of them knew what the other was telling the other one to do. So Jesus wasn't there, and he hadn't told them what to do next. This is where they were having their issues. So now what do we do? So, Peter used to know what to do. He knew that he could prepare the nets and boat and go fishing and take what he caught and sell it in the marketplace. It's where he made his money. Fishing was hard and sometimes dangerous, but Peter knew what was expected of him. The memory of the familiar was comforting. I think that's a true statement. I do. I think sometimes that's where we go. We go back to what is familiar to us. And somehow or another it comforts us. And I think Jesus uses that. So as long as he did, didn't know what else to do, he figured he might as well do something productive. The others replied, well, we'll go with you. They basically were, we're going where you're going. Because Peter wasn't the only one that was restless. Because I think that's what it does. I think it's where it takes us. I think that's where we're at. And we, when we're in these situations that we don't know what to do, there's a restlessness. There isn't a peace. That peace that settles you. You're trying to figure things out. Because when I was reading this, I was like, this is so typical what life is. It's life. All night they fished, they cast and they pulled. Nothing. They cast and they pulled, you get nothing. You know, you cast, you pull the nets in, it's empty. You know, so what do they do? They try the other side of the boat. Nothing. They move the boat. Nothing. A little deeper. Nothing. A little shallower. Nothing. Where are the fish? You can imagine what it would have been like all night long. You know, and then I would imagine that somebody could have had to have come up with like, whose idea was this anyway to go out here? We were sitting doing nothing and now we're not getting anything accomplished. You know, I'm sure that the guys were having, have you ever met, I don't know, anybody here married to a fisherman? I lived in a neighborhood that was filled with fishermen. I loved them. <laughs> they were something else. Fishermen were something else. I can't even imagine what went on in that boat. I have my son, I have one that loves to deep sea fish. And any time that there's any kind of a little, um, somebody posts something on their, on their trips, I just love to listen to the conversations that are going on. It's great. Just as day was breaking, they heard a voice from the shore. I loved this. And he calls out, do you have any fish? James' exasperated response was no. Just no. And he told them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Simple words that he had said. Ordinarily, let me tell you, from a fisherman, for somebody telling them how to fish when they already know how to fish, it would be pretty irritating. But those instructions were familiar. They had heard it before. This had happened before. Peter and John glanced at one another and then tossed the net. And then the sudden weight almost pulled them overboard. It couldn't be because it was filled with fish. John ended up looking at Peter and basically told him that it was the Lord. That's when, do you remember reading, what did Peter do? Threw on his garments, right? Because they peeled the garments off. Threw on his garments, drove into the sea, leaving the others behind. He was smart. <laughs> to drag all those fish. But he went towards the Lord, the, the Lord. When they got to shore, they found Jesus preparing breakfast for them. Do you know what? The Lord spoke to my heart even yesterday. You know what? Women aren't the only people that are hospitable. I think he was so hospitable. 
not the first time he had prepared, was it? Graciously, and perhaps with, with some affection, he said to them, bring some of your fish that you have just caught. And then he served them breakfast. You know, I looked at that and I thought, it doesn't matter for hospitality. It's not a matter of where it is, how it is, how elaborate it is. But I think what it has everything to do with is a matter of the heart. And it's a place of bringing people in to intimacy and creating an environment that feels like home. And that's what he did for men that really needed it. It was good for me to hear that. You know, there's a warmth and a love in the presence of one another. And that was what he was creating for them. So ladies, just really quickly, and then I want to move into the last thing I'm going to be sharing with you. There's four principles in this story. This is, Kim, this is a vintage Jesus always graciously leading and serving with his bewildered disciples. And since we 21st century disciples, which we are, we've been called to go out and disciple, go out and share the gospel, are just as easily bewildered. It's good for us to remember some helpful principles from this story. It's easy to get where they were at. And if anyone is being really truthful, we are at times in that place. First, waiting on Jesus is a common experience for, for men and women or disciples. Sometimes we wait for directions. So that's normal. It's not something that's abnormal. Sometimes we are stuck in a very hard place waiting for release. I've been there. Wanting things to change, and God's not changing it. That's probably one of my... Waiting kills me <laughs> in more ways than once. It's killing that part of me that is not trusting. Sometimes we wait to understand his purposes. And you know, sometimes he really and truly does come forth with that, and then other times it's silent. And I have to trust his purposes, and I have to trust that he knows what's best for me. Sometimes we wait for his provisions. Boy, have I had to do that? And I'm going to tell you, that's probably when I have seen the most miraculous interventions in my life for me, when we are down to nothing. Jesus' timing and purposes are not always clear to us, though they are always best for us. So he wants our faith resting on the rock of the word and not on the sand of our circumstances. When we are sinking, he's always going to be there to, to reach out and grab us. I found that. That is not an untrue statement. Second, we are not sure what to do next. There's a woman, and I went in and read, it's Elizabeth Elliot just says, do the next thing. You've got to go in and see some of the stuff that she wrote. It's awesome, you guys. But I thought about that. So that's a, that's a question for you. When you don't know what to do next, then what do you do next? Sometimes it's just getting up out of bed. Sometimes it's just going and brushing your teeth. I mean, it's simple things. But you don't lay around in misery, and you don't lay around in a place where we're not trusting him. So you get up and you do the next best thing. I, I think that's a great idea. What do you think? <laughs> I'm sure the disciples had prayed for guidance during those days, but no clear instructions had come. Fishing just seemed like a good idea to them. You know, and as it turned out, it was exactly what the Lord wanted them to do. You go and do the next thing. He'll meet you in it. Jesus was learning and was leading them but it was just different from what they had. They had had him in the flesh, walking, talking, being there with them. This time he's leading them through circumstances they didn't completely understand. You know, and as they did the next thing, Jesus met them and then he directed them. So thirdly, Jesus is in complete control. Uh, that is a true statement. Peter and his friends were experienced fishermen. They did their best, they caught nothing. But that morning they discovered again that Jesus was sovereign over their decisions. Because you know what? 
they made plans. I was thinking about the scripture. Though a man makes his plans, God is directing our steps. It's the truth, no matter what it is. I get up every day. I don't overthink what I'm going to do today. I drive myself crazy in overthinking those things. But what I do is I get up and I prayerfully ask, Lord, where and what do you want me to do today? Now I'm going to make my plans and I'm going to move forward. But I never know when he's going to come in and he's going to redirect my steps to something else or someone else. Or just redirect my steps to go nowhere. <laughs> I'm not good at just sitting doing nothing. You know, so that's something to think about. Fourth, Jesus is always serving us. Even when we can't see it. He serves in every conceivable way, ladies. From the payment of our sins to our call that he has. I'm telling you, each one of you sitting in this room today has a call in their life. I have no idea what it is. But I've been praying that you respond to it no matter what you may think about what the call is. Because he's calling you. To fit to the fish we catch, to a breakfast on the beach, to our eternal home. Jesus loves to work for those who wait for him. Look, there's a scripture in Isaiah 64, 4. And following Jesus, there are seasons of bewildering intensity and seasons of bewildering waiting. That is a true statement. He does not want us to panic during either. He is in control of both. And when you don't understand his ways, then ladies, we trust his word. And when you're not sure what to do, what do you do? You do the next step. Oh, and Isaiah, it was 64-4. You're welcome. And that leads me in because in this and meeting with them, you know, you guys read where he had, I thought it was interesting, he had already had fish. And he had it, he, it was waiting for them, you know, and he started having conversations with them. But primarily where I'm going to go with this is um, what and, and who he's calling with Peter. And it has to do with, let me get, Jesus wants you to be you. Because his conversations with Peter, that's really and truly what it was about as, we, as I move into that. You know, because honestly... He didn't dwell on, Peter had weaknesses, and you guys saw that. But do you remember how often he declared, he would declare things like, I'm going I'm to follow you, I'm going to, all the things, the declarations, but he ended up finding on my own strength, I'm weak in this, and I'm a coward in this. But Jesus knew that in those places of him, there were strengths. And Jesus doesn't dwell on your weaknesses. He dwells on your strengths, because he knows in your weakness, he's going to make you strong. And ladies, we have that because the Spirit of God has come to live in us. We have no excuse. And he will equip you no matter what it is that he is calling you to do. We have to trust that. Not looking at not where my weaknesses are. I don't know about you guys, but I can do that. And where upon this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. It was in Peter's strength and he knew it. He's about to have the conversations with him that was needed to restore him to fellowship, to love him, and to commission him to a life that was unbelievable with what Peter came to do. So, God had you, and this is what he was teaching Peter, God had you, every single one of you, and me, specifically in mind, when he created and called you to follow him. You are custom designed for your calling. 
you when you face difficult i mean you face the difficulties of your calling you may look at others and be tempted to wonder why they don't seem to bear the same burdens you do that's what happened with peter don't be discouraged in john 21 the apostle peter faced the same temptations depending on sometimes what we're being called to do it's difficult when we look around and see that other people have something different so what does peter do he asked a question what about this man Because you know what, when that was happening, when Peter was walking with him, it was interesting because John is behind him, and John's being able to hear all of the conversation that's going on, and we've read. That's where we're at in the book of John. You're getting an account of what John heard and saw. But I think what's interesting is that after the resurrected Jesus served his sleep-deprived fishermen and a seaside breakfast, breakfast of fish, he took Peter on a walk down the beach. Jesus wanted to tell Peter a few important things directly before Jesus parted physically from him for the last time in this age. And John followed behind him. He knew that what I need to do in the conversation I need to have with Peter is of the utmost importance. Toward the end of the conversation, Jesus literally dropped, I would feel like it was a sucker punch for me, like a bombshell on Peter, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Then Jesus, as only he could do, peered right into Peter's soul and said to him, follow me. What did he call all of his disciples? And he's still calling us today. What is he asking us to do? Follow him. Peter had already been dreading. You had to know that. What do you think these men felt like? This is who they loved. It was their, the one that led them, that shared, showed love to them. And knowing that he was going to depart. This wasn't the first time they had been with him. I mean, he'd been, he'd been around for about 40 days. And they had been with him at, an, at other times besides this. But this is his last time of being before the, before the ascension. You know, and Peter had already been dreading that, but I think he was also wondering how this small, fearful band of disciples would survive without him. You have to know that had to be what they were thinking. What are we going to do now? They hadn't been told yet that the Holy Spirit was coming. It's a beauty in next week and what happens when the Holy Spirit falls fresh and inhabits them. And ladies, that same Spirit is inhabiting us today. We have no excuses for what we can and can't do. Now, Jesus informed him that he wasn't going to survive. That was one of the things that he had shared with him. What do you think Peter was feeling like? I mean, he's been recommissioned. He's had that beautiful conversation with him about the, about the, the sheep and what his responsibilities were going to be. You know, for the first time in reading and going back, and I never looked at, feed my lambs. What is a lamb? Babes, that's what the and that's what he was being commissioned to remember. Those that are first coming in to faith, take care of them, feed them, love them, and then it goes. And now tend and then feed my sheep. There are so many beautiful things that he was sharing with him. It was amazing to me. Peter was going to die. That's the bottom line for Jesus, and that's what Jesus was letting him know already ahead of time. Only this time, Peter issued no overconfident prophecy proclamation like he had during the Passover meal. Now he knew 
where his weaknesses were because he had betrayed the Lord and where it really was. Left to himself, he knew that without him, I'm a coward. His confidence was no longer in, its, in, its, in himself. It would be in Christ. And you know what? That's what part of his journey was. It's part, I, I looked at that and I, I, I could sense God saying, there are things that I have determined in your life that you have had to deal with that in the moment going through it, you just didn't understand it. But it was purposes to empower you from where? And as you get older, what I will do as a result of the things that you had weaknesses in. I want you to, I hope you guys look at this and that you're hopeful. You're not looking at all of your weaknesses, but know that there are things that he is taking you through at this point in your life that has something beauty in it and where we can glorify God in that. But Peter remembered that he would not be left to himself like an orphan. Jesus, though gone, would somehow come to him in the future. Ladies, that's in John 14, verse 18, where he is declared, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I know Peter has to have known that. But how Jesus would come to him at the moment of his death, Peter could not conceive. At that point, he was already feeling lonely. How do you think he felt at that point? Like, what am I going to do? As Peter wondered why Jesus had spoken of other why Jesus hadn't spoken of the other disciples' death. I think about that. I, would, I can tell you right now, if I had been with him, I would have exactly been in the same position. If I had just had him come back around and we had the conversation, he's commissioning him, he's loving on him, but then to be told, you're going to die this kind of a death. You know, I would wonder, like, okay, am I the only person, you know, around? I don't hear any of the other disciples being shared this kind of information. I mean, I, I would be asking a bunch of questions. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was he the only one who that would have to die? Peter looked around for the others, and he saw John, who was behind them, who was walking just behind them. And Peter knew how Jesus loved John, and he wondered if Jesus was going to spare John the cost that he was asking Peter to pay. Gesturing back, Peter asked the Lord, what about this man? Jesus's, Jesus's response to Peter was with a familiar, tender firmness. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And he's telling you, stay in the path, no looking back. And wondering what and how Peter must have taken that. What is that to you? That's really and truly what he's at. What is this to you? Because lady, really and truly, what I was reading, what I've come to, it has everything to do with comparing our lives to someone else. Comparing, comparing, comparing. Jesus calls each one of us to follow him. Because he's the one that chose us. We each get to share in Christ's inheritance, and as members of Christ's united body, we each need one another. Those are some of the things that he was sharing with his disciples. But we do not have all the same functions. We don't function the same. That's in Romans 12.4. Each disciple, each individual member of the body has a unique role. Each of you do. And each of us must lead the life that the Lord has assigned to us and to which God has called us to. We don't look around at one another. I thought about that just even as I was preparing yesterday. 
you know what, I've been called, and part of, my, part of what God has called me to do is to teach. Rhonda's been called. Deborah's been called. Daphne, you, you have not gotten a call. Well, I think you've gotten a call. So for the day, you've been called. But ladies, each one of us comes up and we teach differently from a different perspective because we're teaching being the unique people that God has made us. So I can't look to Deborah. I can't look to, to Rhonda. I can't look to other people and compare. Do I teach like this? Or anything that we have that we compare to. That is not what he wants us doing. He wants us to, to be who he created us to be. You be you. This is what I want for you. Each disciple was different. With different giftings. But how beautiful all, all of them were. And look at the four that we have the Gospels from. Each one was unique in how they told us their story. I love seeing the uniqueness in others. So the question, what is that to you, is one you and I need to ask, I think, ourselves frequently. What are we comparing ourselves? And who are we comparing ourselves with? How God deals with other people is often excessive concerns to us, especially if their paths don't seem to be paved with the same pain as ours. It's difficult to not look around and see somebody else that has it better when your life is falling apart at sea. The fallen part of our nature doesn't honestly, at times, even look at how our wants to look at how somebody else's life is bringing glory to God, especially if we're comparing ourselves to them. A lot of times I've met people that don't rejoice in the sweet providences that God grants to them or to others. They dwell on the things they don't have rather than dwelling on all the beauty that they do have. It is not great, they are not grateful for the blessings of their God-given strengths. It does not want to deal gently with other people's weaknesses. It's full of pride and selfish ambition. Our fallen natures often use others to gauge our own significance. How successful and impressive we perceive ourselves to be. That is nothing of what God has called this church to be. Each and every one of you are the only you that has ever existed. Uniquely you. No one else in this world no one else in the history of this planet is you. If that doesn't empower you and make you feel of importance, I don't know what you would. So he says to Peter, and he says to us, you come follow me. Do you know what he does? In this statement on following him, he's telling Peter, I don't want you following anybody else, and I don't want you looking after anyone else. I want you to come follow me. Because there is freedom from comparing. We're freed from the bondage of comparing and looking at others and, and then ga gauging our life around that. Even I even read it was, a, it was a pastor as I was reading through all these things that as a pastor, the, the, the hardships of being a pastor, too. How some pastors are continually looking or having, they're looking at, well, that church has more of this or that church their worship is different than this, and, you know, wondering, are we, are we measuring up? This man wrote some of the stuff. I was honestly going to come in and read it to you, but I decided not to. But knowing that, you know what, they even are, are, are caught off guard with having to compare, wanting to be all that we can be. I think being all we can be is being who he's called us to be. You be you. If there's anything that I want to teach my four grandsons is that. Don't you let anyone determine your worth. 
ever. Your worth is in who God has created you to be. So following me is of the utmost importance. But there is a gospel in Jesus' words. What is that to you? You follow me. It is a declaration of liberation. Jesus died to make you free indeed. That is in John 8, 36. And this includes freedom from the tyranny of sinful comparison and coveting another person's life or calling. God had you in mind when he created you. Ladies, that's in Psalm 139. That's verses 13 through 16. He knew just what he was doing. You, the person that you are, your body, your mind, and your circumstances are not an accident. Yes, he's aware of your deficiencies, and yes, he's calling you to grow in grace. But God does not expect or intend you to be someone else, nor does he want you to follow someone else's path. Ladies, that's a reason for rejoicing. I did. I sat and I thought, I'm rejoicing in that. Beginning to understand all that I am with all of my deficiencies, all my sin nature. He finds me a great worth. You saw that in what Jesus did with the resurrection. What did he do? He conquered death and he conquered the grave so that I could have life. Jesus wants you to be you. The faith that Jesus gives you is sufficient for the path he puts you on. Look up Romans 12, 3. And the grace he gives you to face your trials will be sufficient for you when the need comes. You're your truest self, not when you are analyzing yourself or measuring yourself against someone else. You are your truest you when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, not somebody else. When you are following him in faith and when you are serving others in love with the grace gifts that God has assigned you. So no matter what today holds, be free from saying in your heart, Lord, what about this man? What about that person? For Jesus chose you. That's out of John 15, 16. Promise to supply you with all your needs. That's out of Philippians 4, 19. And want you to simply follow him. You know, I thought, what a simple path to be on. I think that we make things so much more difficult with what we do in our lives. But how simple is that? Just to follow him. And you're in, a, you're in a, a section of scripture that you've just been able to see his whole life that he's lived. And, and, and we, can, we can emulate him. That would be the one you want to follow after. If you humble yourself under his mighty hand, trusting him to redeem all of your deficiencies, all of your sufferings, the thorns in your, in your flesh, and weaknesses, he will exalt you at a time and in a way that will bring him the most glory and will bring you the most joy. That is what he wants to do in our lives, and that's in 1 Peter 5, 6. Because Jesus isn't going to judge us according to our superiority or our inferiority over anybody. And I just felt like when I read that or what I was looking at, you know, that it's just important, ladies, that I think that who he's called us to be, why he's called us to be ourselves, and where he wants to take us in that. And you look at what the outcome was for Peter. As you're going to see where his life was called to and how he made such a big difference for the church. And what his, and you've been able to see his storyline, you've been able to see how he got from point A to point B, his weaknesses and the man that he was not a perfect man, as all of you sitting in here are not perfect women. 
But you know, I think one of the most important things I saw in reading, because you're reading about the, the resurrection, and as we continue, the resurrection entered and rushed, or entered in and brought this whole new kingdom for us. One of the things, and it was a, it was another song that came late. Now I've got to find it because I, <laughs> I took it today. Do you remember how many remembers the old song "Because He Lives"? Right. I was going to actually send that to. <laughs> I was going to send that to you, Candace, last night. But the only one, look, and this isn't a bad thing, okay? But I'm about to tell you, it's not. There's my mother loved country, but I didn't. That's the only way I felt it. <laughs> Thanks, Miranda. <laughs> it was it was uh, Bill. It was Gaither, but it was the way that they sang it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think I'm just going to read it. But you know, I think that that's what the whole resurrection, what he was saying, and what he's brought to us. And it starts out because he lives. I can face tomorrow. That's what empowered Peter. It's what empowered the disciples. It's what empowered. Mary and all the women, it's what is empowering us. It starts out, God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And the chorus says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he fears, I mean, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Ladies, I think that that's just a true statement. This is another thing. I'm looking at these. I'm going to keep this, and I'm going to share this with people when I have the opportunity to share the gospel. These are such simple things, but it's true because he lives. What has he done? All fear is gone. We don't have to live in fear. You know, because he lives, we don't have to live with anxiety. Because he lives, we get to live forever. So I'm hoping that maybe there's some hopefulness for you through some of this, some joy. There's some places that God can meet you in comparing. Because ladies, if there's anything I've seen, especially in this generation, in this culture we're living in, that's all they do is compare, 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 compare. And especially, and it grieves me, especially for those of you that have beautiful daughters, It's grievous to me. What is out there, what they're being led to follow, to comparing what they look like, what their body looks like, what, it just goes on. Where Jesus, I felt that in this story, was already starting with Peter, no comparing, no looking around. But you follow me, teaching our children the importance of their uniqueness and how he's created them and the beauty in that. So I've had a couple friends that are, are just struggling with some beautiful young girls that just don't get that. They don't see their uniqueness or their beauty about themselves. And so they live in a constant place of comparing and feeling that they're less than. We don't want that, right? So in that, you have the, you have the opportunities to be able to share with your children still. For any of you that are a grandparent, oh, man, what opportunities do we have in that? Because that's what I want to do. Because boys at times still do too. They look at things around them. They see the strengths of others. They see where, especially, what are they doing in their financial realms and they're comparing. We don't want to do that. Right? So 
Was there anything else? Did you guys have any questions on anything else you read? Not that I would have all the answers. You're good? One thing I want to ask. Here. Oh. Go ahead. Oh, good. Um, first of all, the Because He Lives is what I sang over my boys every night that I would tuck them in. And I think they really liked it because it was long, right? So Jesus Loves Me is really short. So they got to stay up longer and I would scratch their back longer, but they got to hear because- That's the deal, what's the back scratch? It's the back scratch, but Because He Lives was a song I sang over them every every night of them growing Aww. up. Yeah, so that's, that's a cool memory, but they liked it because it was a long song. As we read into Acts, because I know how we tend to look at scripture. So in Matthew that we read this week, Jesus promised them, I will be with you always. But he's about to ascend to heaven, so what does that mean? So one thing I read this week that I really liked, and I sent it out to the leaders and the teachers, is the idea that Acts, a lot of times people call it the Acts of the Apostles, so A-C-T-S. But it really should be called or could be called the Acts of Jesus. Because they are going to uniquely stay themselves. But now that Jesus is going, I'm giving you a little bit of a heads up. Now that Jesus is going to ascend, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on them to fill them with Jesus' life, fill them with Jesus' joy, fill them with Jesus' power, Mm -hmm. fill them with Jesus' words and remind them of everything that they had said. So really, what you're about to read is the continual acts of Jesus in people who believe in him, and especially that he has been resurrected, so he has conquered death. What kind of difference will that make as you read? Why am I telling you this now and not just teaching this next week? As you read, I think a tendency is for us to look at that and go, oh my gosh, they went and sold everything that they had and they had it in common. Like, is God asking me to do that? And you can get caught up in that. So it's almost like when you're driving, if I were to drive from here to Oklahoma, I could print out, remember back in the days when we would print out MapQuest? I could print out those directions and just look at those words and I would get from here to Oklahoma. Or I can have the general idea of what we're doing and consult the directions, but then put them down and look out the window and enjoy the journey. Next week, when you begin reading Acts, it's not about you returning to some humanistic way of applying the scripture, where you're leaning on your own understanding. When you look at Acts, get caught up in the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit coming. And ask yourself, not, am I supposed to do this? Is this, how do I apply this? And coming at it from like this list of directions specifically for you, because it was unique. And I love the word you kept using was bewilderment. What's the word in the middle of bewilderment? There was some wild stuff. He had resurrected from the dead. That is wild. He's going to ascend. They're going to literally see him go up into the heavens. That is wild. There's going to be a lot of persecution happening. That is wild. There was a lot of wild things going on. And to be honest, I think there can be a lot of wild things going on with us uniquely uniquely you uniquely you but wild things from the wind and the fire of the holy spirit so walk with him in this does that make sense it's a different way of reading it than just going okay jesus came lived and died 
Now it's up to me to apply the scriptures all by myself, all on my own. This is hard. I can't do it. But you're going to see and observe that's not what the disciples did. What did they do? They devoted themselves to some things. They devoted themselves to some things, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and their unique situations and at unique moments, mm -hmm. and they just put up the sails and went with them. So read from that perspective, not just a, oh, well, here's the second law. So the first law was given. They had to obey this and this and this. Now here's this new. Now Jesus said, follow me. So it's a relationship. So read, as you begin reading Acts and the rest of the New Testament, this is how we're going to apply the scriptures. It's a very different way of applying them. But go ahead, get caught up in the wind and the fire. Let it be a little bit wild for you this week as you read it. Enjoy.